usually not a good thing to start off your lesson with an apology. I'm not sure who uh, needs to do the apologizing. Ben, that was the wrong verse. Actually, it was the right verse. This is the wrong chapter. But uh, we just needed to go one more chapter up. We'd have had that. It's supposed to have been 18 instead of 17. But I thought you got off a little bit easier. I don't know those names. I, yeah, I wouldn't know how to say those either. And uh, I would never intentionally uh, put that put that down wrong. So either me or Chris won. I told him you did it to him on purpose after you set up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it should have been 18, 1 through 4. I, un, unlike uh, Ronald, I can't just pull a lesson out about David and Goliath off my hat. So I'm going to have to stick to my game plan here. And uh, we're going to talk about Jonathan. So uh, if we would, we'll go back to 1 Samuel 18, uh, 1 through 4 here. And we'll read this real quick. It says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. We're going to talk tonight about Jonathan. We're going to talk about his humility, how he was a great friend to David. Uh, early on in the days of the kings, uh, we have a story that gets told to us when we're kids, and, and many times it's forgotten because it's not the most exciting story. It's not even the main character of the story, as, as we know David is, but instead it's more of like a backstory. And we have a few chapters here that it mentions the name of, of Jonathan and, and the things that he did and, and helpful to David. It's a tale of, of two friends that uh, they come to be closer than brothers. The word friend, it gets tossed around. Uh, a lot of times it can be used in a very loose term or it can, can mean a, a great bond in different circles and different cliques. And, and as many of you know here at uh, Center Grove on Facebook, you might have several friends people you might have known once in your life, uh, some you might actually see on a day-to-day basis, and out of all those, there's probably just several few that you actually speak to regularly. Friends, we know they come and they go. Uh, many times they get lost to when they get to the part of their lives, friends will go their separate ways, usually due to a big change in their life. Usually it comes down to Either they move or they marry. Uh, a lot of times that's what happens with those. How to invest everything that you have in a friendship is seen from 1 Samuel in the story of David and Jonathan. We see how Jonathan was a very generous, he was a humble friend to David for many, many years to the day he died. You know, we sing a song here sometimes called, uh, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. If there was a tie that joined two friends together any closer than David and Jonathan, I'd like to see it because literally both were willing to uh, sacrifice their lives for each other. We are easily able to forget the gifts that friendships bring as God intended between Christian relationships, a bond that... Uh, we are not only to have with God and with Christ, but with our brothers and our sisters in Christ to grow that bond 
uh, with each other so we become stronger in him. If we want to claim that oneness that God wants us to have in his love for us, we must show or repeat that love for others. The friendship between John, Jonathan, and David is, ex is example by their devotion and their self-sacrifice towards each other. Jonathan and David have three main things in common, their faith, their hope, and their love toward God. We see from the get-go that Jonathan grew up, uh, or the two grew up in very different worlds from each other. One was a lad who tended his sheep for his father in his fields. The other, the son of a king, the future heir to the mightiest throne in the entire world. One loved and honored his father on earth and in heaven. The other knew the love of a father in heaven, but served under a dictator and a prideful dad. Because both loved and wanted to serve God, they developed equally in spirit in the sight of God. They loved each other as friends in very unique, but kind of an unexpected way. If we truly look at our backgrounds of the people here at Center Grove, we might see how uniquely some of us have been brought together, not by our family that brought us here, but through life events. But one day we too came to know this loving God who helped us to show us our future and how it is better in service to him. In regards to Jonathan and David's friendship, one was more given the responsibility of being way more humble than the other. Jonathan being born of a king and could have easily walked in his dad's footsteps. He could have tried to take over that throne, but he learned to force and learned to force the hands of the people to, uh, to go to wars, to build cities, to conquer people. He could have tried to take over that throne from David after his dad uh, would have died. But we see that he never questioned David's destiny the entire time. How does the heir to the throne become the closest friend and ally to the one who will take what should have been his all along? Jonathan's desire was not earthly, but heavenly, to please his God. He knew David was a chosen one, and he would do whatever it takes to make that happen. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 16, 17, and 18, it says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this or that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. When you look at the pride of Saul versus the humility of Jonathan, you wonder how the two could even be related. We all have said or we've heard the phrase, like father, like son. This truly doesn't really come to mind when you look at uh, between Saul and, and Jonathan, the way, the way they lived. You can compare the craftiness 
Both were very crafty. Both were uh, very mindful of, of how to get what they wanted and ways to make that happen. But the Old Testament has many warnings against pride. And it has also many teachings on humility. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Among the things that God hates that he lists in Proverbs there is a proud look. But God always has, been, has always placed uh, humbleness as a, as a great thing for us to have. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I would suggest you highlight or underline that in your Bible. The same phrase that Micah said thousands of years ago applies to us today, and those are characteristics that God will want in you in your Christian walk with him. This implies that someone who is not humble cannot walk with God. In the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, in listing the Beatitudes, he starts with, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. To the one who is willing, willing to bend, willing to sometimes break, willing to suffer to do God's will, these are the ones that God will pick you up back up after the fall. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Those that are humble in due time, your reward is coming. It may not seem like it for a moment. It might seem like everything is against you. But know that God is watching and God is waiting for their opportune moment for good things to happen. The amazing thing is that I don't even think that some of the most humble people that I've met in this congregation and other congregations that I've been to, people I have met in life, some of the most humble, down-to-earth people, a lot of times I feel like they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that there is something about them that is different than most other people their giving attitude towards others, their ways to not lose their cool and, and be calm in any situation. Uh, these are overachievers in humility. These are definitely characteristics and things that God loves when he sees in us. There are givers. There are servants. This was the example that Jonathan set when he puts forth this relationship with David, what did, what did we read in, in 1 Samuel 18? He gave him his bow. He gave him his sword. He said, my life is yours. I will be your friend till the day I die. He has to be secretive in this friendship because his dad is trying everything he can to do to kill his best friend. He showed his service by being faithful to God. He showed his courage by standing against his father and his dad and his king. And he showed his sacrifice. 
her powerful future that would have been his was backstaged to God's decision to pick a different ruler of Israel. Even in the end, he will sacrifice his own life as for, for dying in a war with his dad in a violent way. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 18 through 42, it's a little lengthy. Uh, I'll read from my Bible here, but uh, one of the great stories. When I was a kid, I always loved this story. I talked about how manipulative he could be. You know, King Saul was very manipulative on trying to trick David and, and to get him killed. But we see Jonathan also had some wit upon him as well when we read this story. It's a little, little lengthy. Read, read with me here, uh, starting at verse 18. It says, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hit on the day of the deed and remain by the stone easily. And then I will shoot three arrows to the side, and though I shot at a target, and there I will send a lad saying, Go and find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Look, the arrows are on the side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm, but... If I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. And then David, he hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat as, the, as at other times, and on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose... And Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place sat empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, but he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. Jonathan knew what Saul had up his sleeve for his friend David. And he said, please let me go for our family as a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now I have found favor in your eyes. Please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die." Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What is it that he has done? Then Saul cast the spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, and he ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went into, out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to this lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. 
when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was with Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. But Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan was willing to risk his own life for David to the point that his father knew that he had made this decision to go against his own father and protect David. If King Saul really truly knew how he had manipulated this event, do you really think that he would have had just the one spear thrown at him? Or instead, would his father would have went ahead and just had him murdered in his sleep or in his room or sometime that he was in the castle as well? We all know the acts of Saul and the attitude of Saul the way he was. The way Jonathan acts makes you even believe that he would have actually made a really good king. But he would never be given the opportunity due to circumstances that were beyond his control. In verse 42 there, when we ended that, it reads like what we would see in a movie or what we would read in a book when people left home for war, not knowing if we would ever see that person again. They wept for each other. They loved each other, closer than any other brother, close as any friendship could possibly give. Many people of war know that friendship. Many of the people of war have sat on that battlefield, and they've watched their brother go get shot, Maybe they carried him away and seen that and felt that effect. How are we to be made humble? Jim Dearman, he wrote this article that I took this lesson from. On this topic specifically, he said that we are made humble by truly recognizing the insignificance of self in contrast to the Savior and to God. Man is able to appreciate the majesty of God, his magnitude of power, and the marvelous salvation which he makes available through Christ. The man Jonathan, he had put God on the throne of his heart. There was no need to have an earthly throne like Saul had, which I thought that was well said. The reason that we have so many problems in our society today is because God is in heaven and it's not on their own heart, which is why I put that on the church sign the other day when I was reading through this. If more people would stop and think that God rests more than just inside the walls of heaven, but they would let God enter into their heart, not in a salvation way, but they would learn the high morals of what it's like to be Christ-like. We wouldn't have all these problems we had to face today. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 20, 
verses 26 through 28, he says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. The chief becomes the servant. No one has ever shown humility like our Savior has when he died on the cross. Paul describes it a little differently in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. We sing this song pretty often here, and it's uh, song 312, and I've, I've asked Roger to lead that as our invitation song, but we're all pretty familiar with it. It says, I'll be a friend to Jesus. Do we ever examine ourselves, though, and ask ourselves, would Jesus want us to be his friend? It can be pretty humbling when you think about your life. And, and would, you know, I obviously want Christ as my friend. But would Jesus want me as my friend? When I turn the tables on it, I really think in a personal note or a personal way, would Jesus ask me to be his friend? What do I bring of value to this friendship? Am I loyal? Am I trustworthy? Can I be dependable to him? To the very end, would I die for him? If the situation came play, if, if a situation arose, would I be willing to do that? In this song, this invitation song, the very last of that chorus says, Until my years shall end. If we sing the song, the very last words we're going to say in that chorus is, I will be his friend until my last breath. It's one thing to know and to sing it, but it's another thing to live it. Sometimes I will admit that I do not consider myself to be what a good friend to Jesus would be. Not the characteristics, because I know that I can do better than what I've done in whatever situation. And I feel like there's many in this room, if not all, would say the same thing if given enough thought. After finding out Jonathan had died. Uh, David wrote a song to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, it says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. We would have thought that after all this had been done, after everything that Jonathan had done for David, we would have thought that when we got to the end of the story, David would be king. He would be sitting high on his throne as the mightiest king in all of the world. And he would have word, Jonathan. He would have Jonathan have his own city. And Jonathan would be over, he would be over watching this city. And he would be ruling over the city and reporting to David. David would make a high place for his best friend, wouldn't he? But such was not the case. Jonathan would die on the battlefield with his dad Saul. 
And such would grieve David tremendously to where he would weep over the death of his friend Jonathan. After we are gone, what will others say about us? We will be remembered for our service to others or our accomplishments that we've had on this earth. Will someone write a song about us or a, or a poem about us? On Monday, we had the memorial ser uh, service for, for Ray Pippin. Jimmy Anderson, on his closing thought of that memorial service, he talked about how Ray had been a friend to many people. But the most important thing was before his death, he became a friend to Jesus by being baptized. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it's, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As at last, as Jesus thought on earth, his purpose for coming to earth was that none of us should perish. He made a path to, salva to salvation. And it's easily made available to all, and it's open for all who are ready. Remember that we love him because he first loved us, and he died for us, that the world through him might be saved. <laughs>